be lots to talk about as we have a power hour lined up for you. Not just this hour, but next hour. Two hours of jam-packed, crazy content to start off your weekend. So welcome into the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we also have the Facebook live feed rolling as well at facebook.com slash 1480kqam. You can follow us, like it on there, leave a comment, watch it, whatever you want to do. We appreciate you on there as well. All of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity. For all your gold and silver needs, it's Phil's Coins. Again, 9344 West Central Avenue. They're open in about 20 minutes from now. They'll open, uh, be open until 2.30 this afternoon. Also online at philscoins.com. Thanks for hanging out with us today. We got, uh, as we mentioned, so much to get to. At the bottom of the hour, uh, we didn't get a chance to play it last weekend, and I had some comments from people saying, I was waiting for it, Andy. I was waiting for you to play it. So I'm sorry. We'll play it this weekend. At the bottom of the hour, we have our interview with former Secretary of State Chris Kobach, candidate for Attorney General in the state of Kansas. So we'll play that interview that we didn't get a chance to do last weekend. So don't worry, we'll get that played in just a little bit. Uh, next hour, I am super excited as we have uh, a current Secretary of State, Scott Schwab. Now, as you know, in the state of Kansas, there is a push for an audit on the election from 2020. There is also some confusion when it comes to provisional ballot reporting on uh, the Secretary of State's office that did not release a report on provisional ballots as the rules have changed a little bit. And were they needing to release that information? Were they not needing to release that information? We talked to him about that one. We talked to him about Mike Lindell's uh, uh, voter fraud cyber symposium that happened this week and got his thoughts on that one as well. So with uh, elections still on the mind of many individuals, we talked with our current Secretary of State, Scott Schwab, and his thoughts on all of that stuff and more. Then wrapping up next hour, we have an interview with U.S. Uh, Senator, uh, G- uh, good golly, U.S. Senator uh, Roger Marshall. I almost said Jerry Moran. I'd still like to get Jerry Moran on the program. We've had this program for seven years, yet to have him come on the show. But we'll get one of these days, we'll actually get him on the show. But Roger Marshall, uh, U.S. Senator, he'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour. And we'll play that interview that we had with him just a few days ago as well, talking about the infrastructure package, talking about the budget, talking about some other stuff as well with mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and it'll be an interesting show. So as we mentioned, a lot of stuff to get to, and glad you're going to be joining us for the whole thing as well. But going on right now in the community, I also want to talk about the U.S. Census Bureau. I want to talk about some other issues as well with another push for vaccine mandates, mask mandates, health mandates in the community with the quote-unquote COVID cases on the rise, with the Delta variant on the rise. What are we doing in the community? Are we going down this road again of locking things down? Are we prepared for another potential locking down of the community with the COVID mandates because the Delta variant's on the way up? They, uh, we see in the news all the time now that hospitalizations are on the rise. Death rates, they're kind of on the rise, but they're still at the lowest that they've been throughout the entire pandemic so far. But then they love to throw in our face that the majority, 95% of those that are in the hospital within Sedgwick County are unvaccinated individuals. Now we have school started this week at the USD 259, where we have masks optional, but strongly recommended. That could potentially change soon as well. We're trying to vaccinate 12-year-olds, which I just don't understand that concept as well. We're, we're getting prepared for another lockdown. Why? Did we not learn our lesson the first time? Because it didn't do anything. It didn't help. 
We still had individuals that were going about their day. We still have essential businesses. Then you get to play God to decide what's essential and what's not essential. And now we're seeing the discussion, which I we knew it was going to happen, with the mandated vaccines of uh, your business. Is your business, is your employer going to mandate you to get a vaccine? Is your school going to mandate you to get the vaccine? Are you going to be mandated to get the booster shots? It's going to be interesting to see where we go from here. I think a lot of people are frustrated. I have told you before, I'm not getting the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And the more you push, the more I shy away. And I don't care if you cut me out from society altogether. I'm just not doing it. Doesn't make any sense to me. So there's actually an event going on today in just a couple of hours. If it's something that you want to go to, which I think most people need to go to and show and represent just a little bit, there's a rally right here in Wichita against medical tyranny, trying to advocate for health freedom. You have the choice to choose what you want to put in your body. You have the choice how you want to actually take care of your health. As we've mentioned throughout the week on the Voice of Reason show, we realize the vaccine is not stopping the virus. It does not stop you from getting the virus. It does not stop you from spreading the virus. So this whole segregation of, well, you're unvaccinated, so you're evil. You don't care about people. You want people to die in the streets. The purpose of a vaccine is for you when you receive the vaccine or when you receive the virus, when you breathe it in, when you get it, that you don't get severe symptoms and it hopefully kills it off in your system. Your body knows how to fight it. And therefore it's still in your system. You still have it, but and you can still spread it because you have it, but you just don't get a severe symptoms. Which means it comes down to a personal health choice, whether you want to use the vaccine to help do that or whether you want to do it on a more natural path uh, to try and fight off the virus. That's up to you. But the idea that because you didn't get vaccinated, therefore you're going to spread it to other people and kill you, that's a lie. That's completely false. That's completely unfactual in any way, shape, or form. I'm trying to reiterate this so you get the point. So this entire segregation is a little absurd. But you have the choice to choose what you want to do with your own medical freedom. So, super excited to have on the program to talk about what's coming up today at noon if you want to partake in this with the Rally Against Medical Tyranny right here in the city of Wichita. It's going to be at Douglas and Rock Road from noon to 2 this afternoon. Kathleen Garrison's joining us. Kathleen, how are you today? I'm great, Andy. Thank you. Hey, well, I appreciate you coming on the program. It sounds like uh, you guys are all geared up, ready to go this uh, today. Yes, we are. That's awesome. I love it. Talk, talk about where this came from. Where did this idea come from? Uh, just a group of us concerned moms, mostly um, citizens here in Wichita that um, have been directly or you know, indirectly put their friends and family affected by these uh, mandates and possible more coming uh, through our work and uh, our children. Um, some of our kids are adults and working in other industries. I have a friend here who has a military kid. So we're all very concerned about our own health and the health of those we love. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's kind of scary now that we're seeing not just the young children. Let's talk about the young children first. I mean, we had USD 259 start off their school, what was it, thir- Wednesday, Thursday this week. So the first week of school back at it's not mandated masks yet, but strongly recommended. I don't see how trying to mask, you know, a bunch of five-year-olds and six-year-olds and seven-year-olds to uh, to walk around the school all day with a mask on. I don't know if that's going to help stopping the spread of a virus. Do you think? Um, all the all the medical studies that I've heard of, I haven't seen one yet that says it has any efficacy in, in protecting you. In fact, it if anything, it shows that it harms you more than it helps you or yeah. anyone else around you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you heard, and as you mentioned, with, with kids being in the workforce, with you being in the workforce, with things happening in the community now, are we 
Are we seeing more? I haven't heard much on the local level. On the national grand scale, obviously, there's a lot of discussion. But at local levels with businesses beginning to mandate the vaccine for employees, I mean, is this starting to become a thing in the Wichita area? Well, apparently so, because I lost my job because of it. Really? <laughs> yep. Um, wow. They rolled it. They rolled it out the next day with the the Department of Justice. Uh, I was a contractor, and they uh, and they didn't um, specifically say it was because I refused it because they didn't give me the opportunity to refuse it. But they they saw my post, and um, I guess assumed that I hadn't taken the, the vaccine, so I was asked to leave. And that was the, That was the the legitimate like official reason why they let you go was because of uh, non-compliance they, of policy or something? Yes. Yeah. They said that, um, that I wasn't wearing the mask um, in the uh, shared office space. Um, I told them that their policy was discriminatory because the only ones that were supposed to wear it were those that were unvaccinated. And I said, show to me, prove to me that the unvaccinated are the ones that are spreading it. Hmm. But yet they still fired you. I mean, we knew this was coming at some point, but there's got to be a case for litigation for something like that, for discriminatory, wrongful firing or something. I mean, isn't there? Mm-hmm. Well, possibly. I'm looking into those avenues, but I, I've got um, bigger concerns right now. I'm more concerned about the public at large, um, just our whole society right now. I'm really not that concerned. I'll be fine. Um, I've got lots of other opportunities, but I just... I'm, I'm just um, I, I'm just very disturbed, very, very, very disturbed about what is going on. And I I um, w- go back to my my um, master's is in international affairs. Um, we studied the Nuremberg Code in my master's program at Seton Hall. We also um, studied the articles of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that um the United States is a part of, and um, I think 120, 29 countries have signed that. Um, there's specific rights that you have as a citizen of the world, yeah. <laughs> not just not just an American citizen. We all have basic rights, and part of that on the Nuremberg Code, which was written um, in 1947, it talks about um, what um, those in authority can and can't do to you as a medical experiment. This is a medical experiment. Yeah. They've admitted that. It, it's an experimental drug. They they um, did not go through the animal trials, which were required. Well, the animal the trials they failed. Did, they failed. The ones that they did do, they all died. Yeah. But yet they went on to um, impose it on us. And in that um, code, um, the very first thing says it has to be voluntary, and the consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. You cannot use force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, um, ulterior forms of constraint and coercion. The the, uh, subject, um, that's us, the patient, you have to have their full knowledge and comprehension of the elements and the subject matter involved and an understanding of the risks and hazards involved. Has anyone told anyone when they go to these injection sites what their risk could be? Yeah. What has anyone have they publicly stated it? It should be plastered all over anywhere that they are um, um, injecting these people. I don't call it a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's it's a gene therapy and it's changing the formate formulation of your body. 
I'm not going to go into all the the, med, the uh, scientific side of that because I'm not a scientist, but it's it's all out there for anyone who wants to learn more about it. But at the very least, they have a requirement to explain to you the worst case scenario, not the best case, the worst case, because if it happens to you, that's the one that matters. Yeah. It's wild that we're forcing this so much. And as you mentioned, I mean, right now it is an experiment because it hasn't gone through the proper trialing. The CDC hasn't even approved it yet. So therefore, it's not a sanctioned vaccine, quote unquote. So it would be considered as an, I mean, they would maybe have an argument once it actually gets sanctioned and actually goes through the clinical trials and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But right now they haven't. And that's the concerning part. It bothers me, though, and I think you'd, I mean, just my personal thought, I mean, to go after that litigation for your job, not necessarily mm-hmm. for you, but to, to make that case for others because they're coming. Yeah. And I and there's they so many people that are, you. yeah, there's so many people, unfortunately, that are losing their jobs because of this yeah. that are wrongful, in, in my opinion, wrongful firing. Mm-hmm. If you have a contract that says this is what your mm-hmm. this is what your stipulations are to work here and this is what your duties are, this is what your salary is, yada, yada. When they yeah. change that, that's a breach of contract to me. And I think that's a lawsuit waiting yeah. to happen. Well, but see, they're going to, all those employers are going to fall back on the fact that the federal government is requiring it of them. They're going to say, I had, I have no control over this. My hands are tied. They're telling me I have to do this or I'm going to lose whatever they need to be in business, whether it's a licensing or um, tax status or whatever it is that, that they have hold over their head. Yeah. So everyone's going to give an out. They're going to have an, an escape, you know, thinking they're, they're protected. I mean, you have to, and I'm an employer too. I have a small business. I don't have any employees, thank goodness. So it won't directly affect me yet, but they'll put pressure on us as employers. They already have. I I got emails from the the Cedric County commissioners, um, you know, the health commission or whatever, trying to tell us this was way back, you know, to encourage our employees to do this and do that. I'm like, how dare you? (laughs) How dare you tell me what I have to tell my, you know, as an employer, what my people that work for me, what they have to do with their bodies. Yeah. You know, are you going to be responsible for that? Because they want to put it back on you. What if your employee, your employee dies? Yeah. What if they're maimed and disabled for life? I mean, have you even seen the videos of the people with the um, tremors? These are healthy, young, um, vibrant men and women in the prime of their life, laying there having convulsions on the ground um, or in their car with their child after they've been vaccinated. I mean, how much more proof do we need that this is dangerous? Right. It's going into their bloodstream. It boggles um, my mind. I wanted to, yeah. yeah, I wanted to bring out the fact that on this Nuremberg Code, did you know that um, they say that the people who um, engage in it, it says the duty and responsibility um, rests upon each individual who initiates, directs, or engages in, in the experiment. And it is the personal duty and responsibility which may not be delegated to another with impunity. So basically, everyone involved in it, they're hiring at whatever, $15 an hour to go and inject these people. They could eventually be tried in a, in a tribunal court of law. Yet the pharmaceutical I mean, I, companies I, I, protected. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And are they telling these, these um, temporary workers that, that they might be held responsible for and inoculating people with poison. I mean, it, all across the board, this this just really stinks, and it's scary. Oh, it is very scary because I don't think we've ever come to this point. And it, it, this virus, they try to relate it to, to other things where we've eradicated them out of the system. You, you're not going to be able to eradicate a virus. This is like a cold, which means it's going to linger. It's an airborne thing now. There are so many vi- uh, variants that are immune, by the way, to the 
vaccine as well. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to get rid of this. It's something we have to learn to deal yeah. with and learn to cope with in society. It's just another and thing floating around out there. Good point. Why aren't they excluding the ones that are already naturally immune that already had COVID? Yeah. Why aren't they finding out if it is harmful to those people? I have people in my family that had COVID. Why, why did they have to get the vaccine? Which now my the CDC has changed their herd immunity definition to not including those who have a naturally built an immune system to it, but they've changed the definition of herd immunity to only those that have been vaccinated against the virus. Oh, how, how nice. Yeah. How nice is that? Now, when, when in medical history have we ever said that? <laughs> when have we ever said that if you got sick with something, you don't have an immunity? Yeah. That doesn't even, that, that, I, 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 I didn't go to medical school, and I think I understand that as a mom. I mean, my kids get sick. They don't get sick with the same thing over and over and over. They're usually one and done. Well, that, I mean, that's why. I mean, that's, that's how I mean, our bodies work. It's what we did with chicken pox. I mean, uh, we live in that age yes. still where, oh, you know, oh, little Billy's got the chicken pox. Hey, kid, get over there and go, like, you know, give him a kiss or something. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. that's what we, exactly. we wanted to get expose them to with. it. Exactly. Get it over that's with. You know, the common cold in the spring and the fall time. We want them to get exposed. You know what? Whether you get the flu yep. shot or not, whatever, but you get exposed to it, you do your thing, and then you're good so you don't get sick the rest of the season. That's the point of an immune system. And the the even the idea, the audacity of them to even suggest to inoculate our children who have a less than 0% chance of ever getting COVID and or dying from it unless they are deathly ill already is insane. It's, it's, to me, it's tantamount to child abuse. You are, you are taking our babies, our youth, and playing with their, 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 their future. We, there's, there's been um, credible studies that they, it may cause infertility yeah. in anyone under a certain, you know, in their 20s or younger. I mean, Really? You're going to you're going to say it's okay if you don't have grandchildren? You're okay with that? You get to decide if your if your children have children because of a virus that's not even a threat to them. Yeah. How are you okay with that? I mean, I feel like parents should be at the I know it's not mandatory yet, but I'm telling you, if it gets to that point, we're done. We're done because I mean they do not care about your kids. Well, and the good news is we have a lot of parents that are standing up to a lot of the school board meetings, not just in the in Wichita or in yes. the state of Kansas, but all over the country. We're seeing videos of people where it's the administrations that are wanting to impose mask mandates and get vaccines for kids 12 and up. It's the parents showing up to the mm-hmm. school board meetings yeah. that are losing their yep. minds. And I'm glad you guys are standing up for this. We got just about a, a minute or two left here before okay. we have to take a break. Here, I'll but let you talk to Jennifer. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Jennifer. And we have the rally yeah. against medical tyranny. It's coming up today. Between noon and two with uh, Douglas and Rock Road, make sure to go out there. But uh, with uh, Kathleen Garrison and Jennifer now and uh, talking about what's going on with this rally. And Jennifer, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. I appreciate you guys putting on this rally. It's going to be a big one. Are you expecting a good turnout today? Yes, we are. And we're very hopeful that other people um, are able to come and see what's going on and, and the fights we have ahead. Yeah, this is going to be a big one. Are you? Uh, what kind of a crowd are you expecting there today? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, we're hopeful. We we've talked to a lot of people and tried to get the word out on social media and um, just individually because so many people are affected by what's going on. Um, I have children in the military. I have children that work in healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. Uh, um, grown-up kids that are, uh, I have one that's a nurse who worked in Andover in a an adult uh, place that took care of um, special needs people. 
And they were actually making all the residents there get the vaccines. And my daughter was horrified. She switched off because the, the, the patients were getting ill. They were having seizures when they had never had seizures before. And the administration was saying, if you're in the, this program, you, you have to be vaccinated. Yeah. And so these people really didn't have a choice. And my daughter was horrified by what she saw. Twice she had to give um, CPR to one of the, the residents that had um, seizures when he had never had seizures before. And he was autistic and nonverbal. Wow. So um, I've seen that. And that's just that's a local that that was a local thing. Um, the stuff that the uh, health department's not telling you, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's yeah. unfortunate. Yeah. I, I mean, being part in seeing the medical industry, obviously having family members in the medical industry and seeing these. I mean, it, I've made the case that those individuals going into the hospitals that are unvaccinated, that they're trying to push because they're unvaccinated. Uh, are th- from seeing it a little bit more from the inside or hearing more from the inside, are there other things going on as in pre-existing conditions, other ailments? I mean, obviously the demographic that the virus has predominantly hit, which is immune-compromised individuals, overweight individuals, people with poor diets or lifestyle. I mean, that part's not being talked mm-hmm. about, but is that what's going on? And are those the type of individuals we are seeing going into the hospital? Well, I don't know those statistics in, in regards to that. I'm not sure if they're keeping track of that, but all you got to do is look at the countries that this is Kathleen. I'm sorry yeah. that um, uh, that have the highest um, vaccination rate. Um, Israel and and the UK. There's some other small islands that are like really high percent, like 80 percent or above. That's pretty much fully vaccinated. You, you know, the country wide, and their um, cases are through the roof. Why is that? Yeah. Why is that? Who's giving it to them? Well, then the we see cases like giving it to them because there isn't anybody left that isn't that hasn't been vaccinated. They're giving it to each other. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not going to stop the spread. We saw the cases of Massachusetts yeah. where we saw like, what, 74, 75 percent of their new cases were, quote unquote, breakthrough from vaccinated individuals. So, I mean, they can't claim that the vaccine is stopping the spread of these viruses in any way, shape or form. We got just about a minute before we have to take our Bob okay. the hour break. But talk, uh, talk one more time. It's uh, the rally against medical tyranny. When and where can people show up to be part of this? Um, between 12 and 2 o'clock on the corner of Rock and Douglas. Rock and near Douglas. The, near the mall, near near town east. Fantastic. I love it. Hopefully you guys get a great turnout today. It's going to be beautiful today, so hopefully that's going to help as well. But everybody, even if they've been yeah. vaccinated and just don't like the tyranny of what's going on, you don't have to be an unvaccinated, crazy, dirty, unfil- you know, unclean kind of individual. But uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's about choice to where you get to make your own health choices, yeah. and that's what you guys are showing up for. It's the Rally Against Medical Tyranny. Yeah. Uh, Kathleen and Jennifer, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got about 30 seconds. Everyone's welcome. I, wherever you stand, come out and talk to us about it if they have questions. I love it. I love it. Come out, talk to them, have questions, have a discussion. I know that's a hard thing to do nowadays, but uh, Mm -hmm. that's what we have to do. Kathleen, Jennifer, I appreciate you guys very much. Have fun today. All righty. Thank you. You too. Hey, hey, you as well. Appreciate that very much. There we go. Talk about coming right out of the gate for the show today. Holy cow. Got a big rally going on against medical tyranny, and hopefully they have a great turnout for that. Show up for a little bit today. Why the heck not? All right. We'll take a bottom of the hour break. Went super long with that discussion, but that's cool as we get things fired up because... 
things are starting to happen. It's getting down to it. We need to be a little concerned about that. When we come back, we'll shift gears a little bit. We'll talk with Chris Kobach, former Secretary of State, the ending of DACA, legal issues, and more. Plus, we'll get ready for elections with Secretary of State, current Secretary of State Scott Schwab here for the state of Kansas. All coming up on Kansas Talk today. Stay here. to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. 35 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into the program. It is Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Lots to get to today. Lots uh, to try and talk about. Trying to cram everything into a two-hour period, and it's very difficult. You'd think in a state of Kansas we wouldn't have much to talk about, but au contraire, my friend. We have way too much to talk about. Thanks again to Jennifer and Kathleen coming on the program as they have their medical rally. I am curious, and I want to open up the lines to you. If you're a business owner, if you own a business you or, or an employee, I am curious. I got into a discussion on social media a few days ago about uh, contracts for employment. Now, I had someone tell me that they have never signed an employment contract, so the business, the owner, the company, would have the right to do anything they want to to change the terms of employment at any time. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And you know, and you can call into the program. You're more than welcome to call 316-721-8255 and call me out on this one. I have to admit, I, that blew my mind a little bit because I'm not quite sure. I, every job that I've ever had in my life, I've signed a work contract. This is my duties. This is the title that I have. This is what my duties are as the job. If I get the job, this is the salary that I'm going to be paid. This is the benefits that I will be receiving. This is the dress code that I have to have. This is this is my contract. This is what I do. This is how I do it. This is what I'm supposed to be there. This is how much I'm going to get compensated for the uh, duties that I perform. That's a contract. And I have never in my life, I've never had a job where I didn't sign a, a, an employment contract. So maybe I'm losing it here, or maybe it was just me being like crazy particular about my jobs or whatever. But um, as an employer, have you ever not signed a contract for an employee to do a certain job? Because according to this mindset, you could change your salary rate at any time. But you're like, well, you know, the business is a little tight this time. I don't think I'm going to pay you the full. I'm going to pay you half of what you're worth right now that we agreed upon when we shook hands because I just can't afford the rest of it right now. I'm telling you, if that happened, what would happen? That you could sue the company for, you know, not complying with the contract or what you actually agreed to. So I find that a little interesting. I don't know why we would go to the to the idea or the concept that, well, we don't have any contracts, so the terms of the agreement could be changed at any time. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving legal advice. But my thought is if you have a contract that says these are the stipulations for you to work here, then this is what you have to do. You can't all of a sudden be like, by the way, you need to also give me all your medical records and prove that you've actually taken the vaccine. Because I'm pretty sure that's illegal. So the fact that we already have people in the Wichita area already starting to lose their jobs because they haven't gotten the vaccine is this legal? I know we're going to start seeing lawsuits coming from this, but is this a concern that you have? And as an employer, as a business owner, I want to hear from you if you're a local business owner in the community. I want to hear from you if this is something that you've been pressured to do, that you would want to do, or if not, why? And do you have the right to do that as an employer? 
kind of interesting. I, I really want to hear from a business owner on that today. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. This portion of the of uh, Kansas Talk brought to you by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Make sure to check them out online at philscoins.com. They're also officially open right now until 2.30 this afternoon. Go and check those guys out at Phil's Coins. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit. I promised you we would do this. We didn't get a chance to do it last week, and I apologize. People were waiting to hear this one, but we sat down with Chris Kobach, former Secretary of State and candidate for Attorney General, as he talked about the ending of DACA. As you know, just a few weeks ago, the DACA program ended after a judge challenged it in Texas, and it went away. The Biden administration kind of losing their mind, but now what do we do with all the DACA recipients? What do we do on the issue of immigration that's not in the mainstream media any longer, but yet still a lingering problem that we need to address? So we sat down with Chris Kobach as he's been heavily involved with some of that stuff and how it reflects to a potential uh, seat as attorney general. This is what Chris Kobach had to say. Chris, what's going on, brother? How you doing? Doing right, doing all right. Great to be with you, Andy. Yeah, it's great to have you on the program. I appreciate it. This for, let's start off with the immigration thing. I know you had a piece on this in Breitbart uh, talking about the DACA. It's about time that DACA ended. It's it's been long overdue. I know yeah. that uh, Trump tried to get rid of this. It was kind of risen again under the Trump or the Biden administration. But this has been a lingering issue. Uh, for the immigration debate for a while. So what's next with the DACA recipients or the ones that were falling under this category? Well, the judge in uh, the Southern District of Texas, which is a federal district court, you know, struck down DACA and said that um, no more DACA, which is deferred action for childhood arrivals, no more DACA aliens can be registered. No more people can get the benefit <clears throat> of not being deported and getting a work authorization, work permit, uh, even though they entered the country illegally or, or their visa expired. Um, so that's good, and, and that's a long-fought battle. I actually brought the first DACA lawsuit in uh, the summer of 2012, right after Barack Obama created this illegal executive amnesty, um, representing some ICE agents. And uh, our preliminary injunction ruling then served as the precedent that allowed the state of Texas to bring a subsequent case, two subsequent cases, um, striking down DAPA and now finally DACA. But it took nine years. And one of the reasons it took so long is that uh, the Trump administration tried to just repeal DACA. And I talked to President Trump about this uh, on numerous occasions. And he ultimately made the move to end the program. But then groups on the left sued and went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, in a bizarre decision, said even though Barack Obama just did this not even by executive order. It was just a directive. Mm. Um, even though he did it so informally, you, President Trump, have to go through the Administrative Procedure Act. You have to have public notice and comment and do all of these things that in order to rescind the program that were never done in order to create it, it didn't make any sense. The dissenting opinion in that case was uh, pretty, pretty irate. Uh, but at any rate, uh, the question still remained, was DACA legal in the first place? Because the Supreme Court didn't ask that question or answer that question. Sure. And uh, the judge in Texas said, no, it was never even legal in the first place. It violates multiple federal laws. So at last, uh, it is dead. It's finally dead. Now, the individuals that fell into that category, what happens to them? Are they back into an illegal status? Do they fall into some other category? What's, uh, where do we go from here? The judge said that he is going to render a subsequent decision on what to do with the people who've already got it. And so we're still, that's one unanswered question at this point, whether they get to keep some sort of status or whether 
they're back into the illegal status they started in. Interesting. So we still got some work in progress here. What bothers me about this situation, we've talked about it a lot on the program, is, you know, I get it. When they came across, obviously, being a DACA recipient, you were a child, you had no say in when your parents came here illegally, it was not your fault. You're now my age. I mean, I'm 32. I'm a millennial. Most of them are about my age, if not a little older, a little younger, starting families, having careers, doing their thing. They've never rectified the situation. My concern is from a moral standpoint, at what point do we say, you know, it wasn't my fault back then, but I want to make sure I don't have any issues and get torn away from my family at some point for still being in the status. I'm going to go out of my way and actually rectify the situation and make it better. And they're not. And I just don't understand it. Yeah, they, they the thing is, this the DACA was really it led these illegal aliens down a really bad road because now they have accumulated unlawful presence in the United States for you know, many of them over ten years. And under current federal law, that's a problem. You're supposed to, as soon as you realize you're not legally in the country, you're supposed to leave right away, and that allows you to immediately uh, apply for. Uh, legal status back in your home country to come back into the United States legally. But instead, the Obama administration, you know, basically lulled these individuals into staying illegally. And now, in the eyes of the law, they're kind of in a up a creek. And and here's the thing. That's why the Democrats are now in Congress tr- trying to frantically shove a massive amnesty <laughs> for not just the 800,000 people who got the DACA you know, deferred action status, but but potentially three times, four times that number, they're trying to put it into the uh, the budget bill along with everything else. Into the budget bill, convenient. I mean, it has nothing to do with that. Let's slip it under there so no. we can pass it to see what's in it, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so the immigration status as we speak now, I've heard that they tried to stop a lot of the production of the wall at the border. Then secretly they tried to continue some of it on but not make it public because that would be against their agenda of what they uh, criticized Trump for during his administration. Where are we overall with immigration? I know we still have the uh, the facilities down there that are at, you know, 7, 800, 900 percent capacity. And the media is not allowed to go in and take pictures. Congressional leaders aren't allowed to go in and check some of this stuff out. Has there been any progress? Are we getting any better, or is it just getting worse and we just don't hear about it in the media? It, it's just getting worse. And the reason that for months the Biden administration has been avoiding the word crisis, in my opinion, is because a crisis is an unexpected thing that happens to you that you didn't want. This is a planned event. It's just a little bit larger in scale than the Biden administration intended. And, and you know it's planned because they did – a series of things, some things at the border and some things inside the country. At the border, they stopped construction of the wall. The wall was making a huge difference. I, I saw that firsthand in my many visits with We Build the Wall uh, and seeing what happened when you constructed wall and closed gaps. It made it much easier for the Border Patrol to enforce in the remaining open areas. Um, the second thing they did, and probably even more consequential, they ended the Remain in Mexico policy that the Trump administration started. That was a policy that said if you come here to the United States, you're illegally coming, and you claim asylum, you can make that claim, and the asylum hearing will happen in a year or two years. But you can't wait in the United States and disappear into the fabric of the country while you're ostensibly waiting to, to make your claim of asylum. You have to stay in Mexico while you're waiting. Yeah. That was a big, big deal because the, the 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 wide open loophole that has been used now for several years is fraudulent claims of asylum. The vast majority of people coming in now are walking right up to the border patrol. So they say the magic word asylum, and then they are given they're processed into the country and allowed to stay. The Trump administration said, "No, you want to make that claim. We know that 90% of you are not going to be successful. <laughs> but you're going to wait in Mexico," and that change 
at the border was catastrophic. That's what is causing much of this, this surge. The other part of it is the interior. They basically have shut down ICE. Um, they have issued an executive, not an order again, but a, a policy guidance from the White House and from the Department of Homeland Security telling ICE officers to break federal law and not deport people. Uh, it's crazy. It is crazy, and that's why we're seeing the state of Texas uh, request law enforcement from all over the country trying to come down and actually help out. We heard Nebraska went down there, Florida went down there, Georgia went down there for a little bit with just a few law enforcement that they can to try and handle the issue on their own, which is why we got about a minute before we have to take a break here, but let's tie this into elections for a second with H.R. 1, with decentralization of the electoral system. Would this just make it that much easier for illegal aliens to be able to vote if the federal government was running this whole thing, which I think is kind of their end goal is to try and swing the election based on just flooding the electoral system with illegal aliens? It absolutely would. So H.R. 1 would make illegal or would, would trump all of the state laws like the ones that the one I drafted and implemented as Secretary of State in Kansas, requiring photo ID, uh, proof of citizenship, all of these other security measures we do on absentee ballots. All of that goes out the window, and that it would make it much easier for illegal aliens who want to jump the line and start voting even before they're citizens, or legal aliens who want to vote before they're citizens. Either way, uh, those protections would be swept aside. Uh, if H.R. 1 becomes law, and hopefully it will not. If it, if it does become law, and if, and if I'm uh, blessed to be the Attorney General of Kansas at, time, at that time, I will uh, be the first in line to bring a lawsuit against it. It's unconstitutional in multiple respects. Yeah, You have mentioned it, Chris. I, I've talked about it as well. I mean, coming up, I mean, the legal side of this challenging federal law is such an important job from all aspects. As we see the federal government and the Biden administration mandating vaccines for federal workers, including postal workers, including IRS workers, including the security guard at Mount Rushmore. I mean, that's uh, mandating the vaccine. I didn't know you could do that. I, isn't that like a breach of employee contract or something? <laughs> he cannot mandate the vaccine. And there was a question from one of the reporters. It, it wasn't really, it was a, wasn't a question. It was a reporter begging him, please, Mr. President, why don't you mandate the vaccine for every human being in the United States? <laughs> and the president said, well, that's a question we don't know the answer to yet. I'm having the Justice Department look at it. I can tell them the answer right now. Wow. The commerce power of the United States Constitution does not allow the federal government to mandate vaccines. <laughs> this is this is a clear question, and that's the only plausible power that they could use. Um, the, uh, the, the Obamacare decision of a few years ago, the Supreme Court, you may remember, said Obamacare, even Ob the commerce power couldn't even be used to uh, justify Obamacare because you can't force people to buy insurance. Well, if you can't force them to buy insurance under that power, you certainly can't force them to take a vaccine either. So he doesn't have that power. That's not to say that the Biden administration won't try to do it anyway because they've taken many illegal actions through executive orders and the like. And that's why the state attorneys general are so important because they have standing to immediately go into court and challenge the uh, the Biden administration if he tries to, for example, enforce yeah. every single American to get vaccinated. Uh, it would be incumbent upon uh, a state attorney general to immediately move move into that position and and challenge him in court, take him all the way to the Supreme Court if necessary. And that's why I believe I, I kind of the right fit for this job. I've been suing the Obama administration in the past. I'm already suing the Biden administration right now on behalf of some Texas sheriffs. I've uh, been up against the ACLU more times than I can count. Uh, we need an attorney general who's willing to do this. And if he tries to violate the Constitution or federal law, we've got to strike back very quickly in court.
Well, we do need to strike back quickly. It, to me, it's a symptom of showing how far we've actually come. It should be a blatant, commonsensical thing of, no, you can't mandate the entire nation to actually get a vaccine. But the fact that we're even considering it, even talking about it, even thinking about it is a sign of how far we've actually come from the Constitution and, and common sense, really, as well. Uh, we got just about a minute left here, yeah. but real quickly, I mean, private business. Now we're starting to see potential businesses mandated for their employees as well. I know they get to set their mandates, but between contracts of employees, if you weren't mandated to give medical records or get vaccines prior to, is that something that we're going to start seeing? And I'm assuming we're going to see lawsuits come out of this as well, aren't we? I think we will. And this is potentially the greatest threat because private employers are not uh, bound by the 14th Amendment, which protects liberty interests. They're not bound by the First Amendment free exercise clause. And so the, the 14th and the First Amendment pr protect us citizens against the state, against yeah. government. And so private employers have greater leeway, but we can take away their ability to impose vaccine mandates upon the people by passing a state statute. And I have drafted one. It's being uh, submitted by uh, Senator Mark Steffen uh, this this coming legislative session, and I hope you'll cover it on your show because there are other states doing the same thing, trying to get a statute in place to stop private vaccine mandates. And uh, it's imperative that we pass this right away. All right, that was Chris Kobach, former Secretary of State, candidate for Attorney General, as we chatted with him on The Voice of Reasons national broadcast, talking about all that uh, over just the last week or so. We were going to air that last Saturday, didn't get an opportunity to do so, so we had to get that in because I think there's some really juicy, great information. We appreciate his time very much. We'll get him back on the program again very soon. All right, we'll take a break, wrap up hour number one. we got lots more to get to. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about a little bit of the Census Bureau issues going on in the state, the potential change of our state legislative makeup over the next year with what the numbers could actually look like. Then, uh, hour number two, we're going to get into this election thing. Do you believe that there was election fraud? Do you think there was election fraud in Kansas? And what are we doing about some of that stuff? We'll talk with Secretary of State Scott Schwab about that in just a bit. It's Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Welcome back into the program. Just a few minutes to the top of the hour. We got a big hour number two for you. I already had a big hour number one already here on Kansas Talk. Always fun to have you listening to the program. You can always call in as well at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Thanks again to uh, Kathleen and Jennifer with their big rally coming up in Chris Kobach uh, on the program. Hour number two, Scott Schwab, Secretary of State. Uh, big election issues. I don't know if you paid attention or not to the symposium, the cyber symposium from Mike Lindell. I, now, I have to admit, I didn't listen to a whole lot of it. I didn't pay attention to a whole lot of it. I listened to it a little bit, and I have to admit that I was not impressed with what I heard for the, I don't know, the 20 minutes that I listened because I didn't actually hear any speakers. I just heard him as he was kind of ranting about someone that was trolling him on social media, and he felt the need to be on a microphone there and just kind of rant about that. So i, I got to be honest, was not necessarily very impressed with that. But I'm sure that there's a lot of interesting information. According to him, he's got like 37 terabytes of information on voter fraud and the cybersecurity leaks and things going on to, uh, with the technology and the uh, voting machines and so on and so forth. So I'm curious to learn more and maybe find some recordings of it over the weekend and listen to some of that. But uh, within some of that, there, were, there was a claim that the state of Kansas actually had some voter fraud, roughly 60 to 80,000 ballots 
of voter fraud as well that potentially could have changed the third congressional district with Sharice Davids, uh, the only Democrat congresswoman in the state of Kansas, that could have flipped that seat and widened the margin of Trump votes from uh, about 60,000 votes. Is it true? Is there something to it? Is there some legitimacy to that? At the same time, we have some individuals in the state of Kansas that are pushing for an audit of the election system in Kansas, thinking that there's some shenanigans going on and wanting an audit and a recount and things going on uh, in the state. So what did we do? We talked to our friend Scott Schwab, Secretary of State. Uh, so when we come back, hour number two, we'll play that interview that we just sat down with him just a day or two ago, and we'll play that and get his thoughts on all of these issues and more and see if it appeases, see if it makes sense. See if it breaks things down, and we'll get your phone calls there after as well. It's hour number two at Candace Talk right around the corner here on The Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM, KQAM. Stay here. is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Darn right it is. Welcome back into Kansas Talk. It's our number two of Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM. Thanks for joining us on the program today. Jam-packed show. Good golly, we have so much to get to, and I want to jump right back into it here. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, I would love to hear from you today. I'd still love to hear from some business owners, employers in the community. Do you have the right to mandate the COVID-19 vaccine to your employees? Do you have the right, would you, and why would you, or would you not, if you own a business in the community, you don't have to tell me your business if you don't want to, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as that's going to be the next big issue around here. All right. I want to shift gears a little bit, though. I want to get right into it because we have limited time and it is a long interview that's probably going to go for most of the uh, half hour here. We sat down with Secretary of State Scott Schwab. As you know, there's been a push for election audits in the state of Kansas. There are a few individuals that have been pushing really hard for some election audits in the state of Kansas, trying to say that the election uh, that there were some false numbers or false information and the results are not quite accurate in the state of Kansas. Now, they say that Donald Trump did still win, obviously, in the 2020 general election, but there should have been a wider margin that Sharice Davids from the 3rd Congressional District should have lost the Democrat in the 3rd District for Congress. Is it true? And along with the issue about provisional ballots, the number of provisional ballots, the report on provisional ballots in the state, how many did we accept, how many did we actually count, and how many were given out. All of that information uh, is that's been an ongoing battle in the state of Kansas since the election in November of last year. So we sat down with Secretary of State Scott Schwab to talk about all this information, his thoughts on what's going on, his thoughts on litigation. Plus, if you were paying attention this week, there was that three-day cyber symposium for Mike Lindell as well uh, up in, what was it, North Dakota, South Dakota, as they were talking about some of the voter fraud information that he has. Is it valid? Is it legitimate? And has it affected Kansas in any way, shape, or form? We sat down with Secretary of State Scott Schwab to talk about all of that and more, and this is what he had to say. Currently Secretary of State for the state of Kansas, Mr. Scott Schwab. Scott, how are you, my friend? 
Hey, I'm doing pretty good, and calling me a horse is a lot nicer than what sometimes my mother-in-law or others call me. So, hey, we're good. I tell you, you get a lot of heat all over, both on you know the business administrative side of the Secretary of State's office, and then, of course, the election stuff that just doesn't seem to go away. People are still really focused on wanting to make sure that we have accurate and clean and efficient elections in the state. You know what? And, and they have a right to want that and expect it. Um, I say Kansas got it right. Um, nobody's arguing that Trump won Kansas, Marshall won Kansas, that we have super majorities in both chambers. Um, and I go back to because Kansas is a voter ID state. And as long as we have voter ID, I think the people of Kansas can have a lot of confidence in the results of their elections. Yeah, there is a movement, and we can start off with this one right off the bat. This week there was the three-day conference up in South Dakota, the the cyber symposium that Mike Lindell, the owner of uh, MyPillow, hosted, talking about some voter fraud that happened in the 2020 election. Still saying, that he, according to him, and talking with some of the experts that he's had there and all this 37 terabytes worth of data and information, he still claims that Donald Trump won the election uh, nationwide across the across the nation where there was like a seven or eight million dollar uh, vote difference compared to what we saw compared to what the numbers should have actually been and according to his numbers he showed that in the state of Kansas it was about a 60,000 vote difference where Trump won but he should have won with a higher margin and that the votes could have potentially changed the outcome of the third congressional district with Sharice Davids uh, your thoughts on any of that have you heard any of this and if that is the case, well, yeah, where would we, we find something like that? Well, and that's it, it's kind of interesting because if you remember, we, you and I have been talking about elections for a couple of years now, and we've been saying, you know, there's misinformation, and this is just part of it. Sometimes it's foreign based, sometimes it's domestic. We've looked into some of his data, and it's based on polling. So, uh, do you trust elections more than you trust polling, or do you trust polling more than elections? I'm someone who says whoever wins the election wins the race, not whoever wins the poll wins the race. And he included numbers of people that are legal residents, but they're not legal electors because they're not citizens, they're just legal residents. So there's a lot of issues. Where, and people can say whatever they want, but here's what Kansas does. The day after the election, we draw, we, we draw random precincts, and then we do in every county, they have to do a hand count audit mm. of those precincts. And in 105 counties, they, every county passed their hand count audit so I trust our county clerks doing a hand count more than I trust the guy who makes pillows who never picked up the phone to call us to say, hey, here's what our data shows. How can we validate it? Sure. And it was, I mean, we've never been invited to the conversation. And, you know, there's 50 secretaries of state or state election officials across the country. Some of them are lieutenant governors. Um, and he never called any of us to say, hey, can we have a conversation about this data? And none of the secretaries of state were a part of that symposium because we're not allowed to have a voice. So what I want to make sure is, again, folks, is when it comes to Kansas, and we do post-election audits to verify that the, the result can be trusted, and we have voter ID. So, you know, I can't go into Wichita and say, I'm Andy Hoosier, and vote in your stead. So there's a lot of folks who want to do audits, but we already did them. We get them to the full extent of the law, and we have no legal authority to do any other audits. And I, you know, I'm just I'm a conservative Republican. I don't think it's okay for me to just start breaking law and changing the rules of the game after an election to do more audits, especially when we already did them and it's they verified they verified the election results. And so, you know, nobody's saying Marshall, nobody's saying that Roger Marshall lost that election. 
And even even Amanda Atkins, who's a dear friend, I voted for her. My wife is a good supporter of Amanda Atkins. Even Amanda says, yeah, she's about 40,000 votes short. Yeah. I mean, it just I mean, I, I hate it when my friends lose elections, but it sometimes happens. Sure. Well, and you're right. I mean, if they did have some credibility when it comes to voter fraud or some type of concern, they you would think that you would be the first office to call and be like, hey, these are the numbers that we think that we should have statistically or mathematically, whatever. Can we verify and compare and contrast and what we have to try and get down to the nitty gritty of what actually happened? Uh, to me, at least, if I'm doing an investigation, that would be my first call. So the fact that that hasn't happened is kind of interesting to me. Right. And the second call should be to law enforcement. Because no. election crimes are prosecuted, and I, and here's one thing: Der Schmidt's running for governor. He is not going to take an election crime lightly in an election year. Yeah. So let's be honest: if there is true evidence of an election crime, and Derek has prosecuted some election crimes, he absolutely has. He shared them with me. He's my attorney. You know, as the attorney general, he represents our office, and he is very motivated to on election integrity to make sure that if there is, in fact, a crime, he's going to prosecute it. And if we had evidence of it, we'd give it to him because, I mean, what motivation do I have for a result not to be trusted? Sure. No, that's very so, true. And, and that, goes, that goes top to bottom. It's the same thing with our county elected officials. They have no motivation to cheat because they don't win. Yeah, well, and I, I so, see voter fraud happening, you know, to a degree. Obviously, it happens throughout the nation with voter rolls or people dying or people misregistered or illegal aliens registered across the nation. But here in Kansas, I mean, we have two million registered voters. Overall, that's a relatively small population compared to other states. I'm assuming, and not that it's easy by any means for you and your agency, but I'm assuming it's easier to track that many voters and that voter roll and those election votes coming in as opposed to a county that has 2 million votes with a population of 40 million for an entire state sort of thing. Exactly. And if you're going to target voter fraud on a large scale to try to change a national election, you're not going to target Kansas. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is I, that. You can't. You, you, you just, that's the one place you're not going to target. So we are not a high target um, simply because of the Republican dynamics of our state. And again, we have Republican majorities in both chambers of legislature. Rarely happens. Yeah. If there is fraud going on, they're not doing very good. <laughs> well, that's true. I mean, speaking of, I mean, I know that there was some news uh, just a week or so ago with some individuals that are pushing for the audit in the state of Kansas uh, about the reporting that you've changed on provisional ballots. Now, I know in the state of Kansas, we are big on provisional ballots. We hand out more provisional ballots than any other state in the surrounding uh, neighboring states around us. Because if there's any opportunity for you to have your vote, we want you to vote. So we, we give them the provisional Correct. ballot, and then we come back, and we decide whether we need to count that one or toss it and disregard it. Uh, but it sounds like you've changed kind of how you report on what was counted, not counted for provisional ballots, which has caused some red flags for some that want a voting audit. Can you describe that process and what's changed right now? Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's and this is a result of poor reporting. I know you've never dealt with the press with poor reporting. <laughs> so... Yeah, um, the, we have two issues. One, the audit, which we just talked about. We do those anyway, and I have no legal authority to expand on that. Two, as it relates to these, this report on provisional ballots, um, we have a, our, our voting system. We use ESNS to, to manage our poll book in real time. So if you move from Wyandotte County to Sedgwick County, as soon as you register in Sedgwick County, you come off the voter roll in real time off Wyandotte County. So some people will then use that same system as their poll book when you vote. 
we have 105 counties. They get to choose their own election equipment within a framework of the law. So what used to happen is they would report to us what provisional ballots they had, which ones counted, which ones didn't, and why, because they can put that in the system. And it automatically uploaded to our system, and it was incomplete data according to the vendor the counties used. If they didn't use that vendor, we didn't get it. If they did, we did get it. So it was poor data. So we got sued to provide the data to Dennis Hammett, who's just kind of a – he's just weird. Anyway, so he, he, he asked for this information. We thought it was private information because, according to the feds, it's private voter information. But according to state law, there was some gray area. So a state court said, no, according to state law, you got to give it to them. Okay, so we gave it to them. But the vendor, we went to the vendor and said, why is this on our system when we don't need it? So they did a software update and took away that feature. Mm. So now my question is, if we don't create a document, you can sue me. But according to open records, I don't have to create a record. But if I create a record, I have to provide it. Well, the software no longer makes the record. So we're being sued by Davis Hammett that we have to create a record. Well, nowhere in statute does it say we have to. So let's 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 uh, liken it to open meeting. The legislature doesn't have to have a meeting, hmm. but if they do, it has to be open to the public. We don't have to create a document, but if we do, it's subject to the public. Well, the software update no longer creates the document. He's suing us to create it. I'm like, but we don't have to create a record. No more than the legislature has to have a meeting. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, so the information's already out there. It's just not that specific report that you need to create because you don't need to. But if you did, then it would be open to the public. And if he wants accurate data, all he has to do is go to the 105 counties and ask for it. Sure. That makes sense. So, but it's... It's really that simple. So the press said we're hiding information. Well, I'm not hiding information any more than the legislature's hiding information when they cancel a meeting. They're just not meeting that day. We're just not creating a record because we don't need the record. It doesn't make it doesn't improve anything, and it's not accurate data. So we'll see what the court says. Um, if for some reason we lose this court, because sometimes Kansas judges just do what they do, um, <laughs> we'll work on changing the law. Because my concern is I don't want activists going door to door, knocking on people who voted provisionally and confronting them about that. So my mother-in-law, is, I don't want an activist knocking on her door asking her about her ballot. Sure. That, first off, I've got some relatives. They'll shoot you. Um, she wouldn't, but I do have some that would. And two, it's none of their business. What my mother, my mother-in-law, if she has a provisional ballot, it's between her, her caretaker, and the county. It has nothing to do with the Democrat or Republican Party. It's between them. Once she's cast that ballot, to get that ballot to be counted has nothing to do with the Republican or Democrat Party or an activist. Sure. And so that's our position as an office. But hopefully, the court will agree. Just offhand, I don't know if you have this number on hand or not, and if not, that's that's okay, but do you know how many provisional ballots were handed out for the 2020 general election and roughly how many were actually counted compared to those? No, we don't. Okay. Um, I do know we really push consistency, but again, it's because we don't create that report. 
sure. because report was inaccurate. And every every county uses their own reporting system to do that. Yeah. Um, just so the process happens, there's a number of reasons why people vote provisionally. It's because they voted in the wrong area. They didn't have their voter ID. They, they may not have even been 18. Their voter registration was wrong. They didn't change their address. There's a number of reasons why somebody votes provisionally. And then some ballots simply because, hey, you didn't use your voter ID. That ballot's just not going to count. Yeah. Well, and some it's amazing. Like you said, it's like, a, it's amazing that we do hand out so many because if there is any of those discrepancies, oh, shoot, I couldn't, you know, I live 45 minutes away from where I work. I couldn't get back to the vote in time. I'm just going to go to this ballot box. Well, this isn't your district, your area, your precinct. So here's a provisional ballot. Or yeah, like you mentioned, you know, we, we recently moved. We didn't update our IDs. We Whatever the case is. Any opportunity, we hand out these provisional ballots, and I love the I, I love the system that we have here in the state. All right, last question. We're talking with Secretary of State Scott Schwab for the state of Kansas. Uh, as you know, and I know we've talked about this the last time you came on the program a few months ago about some of the new election laws that you guys were working on during the legislative session. A lot of those took place. We ended up getting a few of those into uh, uh, our mainstream now that's actually took effect as of July of this year. However, of course, with some of the balking from the other side of the aisle, some judges in the state have said that they don't want to enforce the new said laws for uh, for the elections in the state, uh, meaning like some being able to do ballot harvesting or how we how we actually collect some of these ballots. And I know Attorney General Derek Schmidt has reported saying that he would take those on directly because he does want to make sure the election laws are enforced in the state of Kansas. But I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I know you guys worked hard. It was something that you had worked on, obviously, throughout the year, trying to get these things changed to make sure our system runs efficiently in the state. We don't have any opportunity for fraud. But now we have even our own legal system and some of the judges not wanting to actually enforce some of this stuff. What the heck? Yeah, so it's it's, it's not the judges because nothing has been before them. It's a couple of district attorneys and county attorneys. And um, when it relates to the ballot harvesting bill, there's a lot of provisions in that bill I really, really like. Our office wasn't invited to, in that conversation, to help write that law. Um, and we don't enforce it. So I think it's kind of funny we're being sued. It's like we don't enforce it. We're not law enforcers and we didn't write it, but yet the ACLU sued us, which <laughs> goes with the adage I like to say is I can't go to the restroom without getting sued by the ACLU. Um, I do appreciate Derek Schmidt on this one because there's some district attorneys because they don't. District attorneys don't run into election law on a regular basis. And so they're not comfortable enforcing a law they don't understand. And so the DA in Douglas County, and again, it's a more liberal county, said, well, I, I'm not going to prosecute any of these crimes, which, which is fine. I'm not sure I want the DA out of Douglas County to be the one to do it. I think I trust Derek Schmidt to do it more than the DA there anyway. But the, it goes back to should somebody be able to turn in how many ballots on an election? And I really appreciate one of the proponents of the bills before committee because the, the ranking Democrat on the committee said, yeah, I've turned in 150 ballots on Election Day. Wow. Well, OK. So should a person be able to turn in 50,000 to which this individual, the ranking Democrats, will know you shouldn't turn in 50,000? Oh, OK, so you, you're, you agree with me then. There should not be ballot harvesting. The question is the number. Sure. So I believe it was the House said five. I think the Senate said 15. They shot the difference and said 10, which is exactly what Colorado does. But Kansas is being sued, not Colorado. It, it cracks me up. So like if even if we model legislation on the Democrat state, it's the Republican state that gets sued, not the Democrat state. And then you have some DAs that just really don't know how to prosecute these cases. 
which is, again, I appreciate Derek Schmidt because he's the head law enforcement. He's, he's the backstop. Fine. You're not comfortable prosecuting. That's fine. I'm going to do it. So at least it puts people on notice. The law is still the law, and if you break it, somebody's going to someone's going to investigate and if we can prove you broke the law you were going to enforce the law so i appreciate that coming out of the attorney general's office because if there's a da that's uncomfortable with prosecuting the law at least we got an attorney general who's willing to do it yeah it's nice to hear that at least someone's wanting to enforce it it's just sad that we have so many people that are just adamant about not wanting to enforce it because they try to claim you know whatever they want to train that, that we're infringing upon people's right to vote that we're infringing upon people's rights to do whatever but i mean i like how we've worked so hard to fine-tune the system in kansas and i think we do overall have a really great system for voting in here but just to do some of those tweaks and fine tunings but they they throw a fit and they they try to stop at every chance they get well, it's trying to create a narrative that is untrue. They're trying to say that somehow it's hard to vote in Kansas. Yeah. And nobody, nobody's saying it's hard to vote in Kansas. Yeah. And nobody says that law makes it harder to vote in Kansas, except for the people who do ballot harvesting. <laughs> and so it's, I get a little bit frustrated with it because, you know, I work, we work real hard with our minority community. Um, I want to make sure they know that, hey, I'm a Republican, I'm a conservative Republican, but I'm reaching out to you. If you need help registering to vote, if you're trying to understand voter ID, if you're trying to understand what our laws are, I'm reaching out to you to let you know we want to be a partner. And if you want to vote, we want your vote to count, to count regardless of whether you're voting for me or not. I don't care. Yeah. I just want you to know I'm reaching out. And you know what? Those communities really, really appreciate it. And they're not saying it's hard to vote in Kansas. Sure. It's the rich, white, liberal attorneys with the ACLU that are claiming it's hard to vote in Kansas. And that's where I get frustrated because it's just not true. If you can vote in Colorado, it's even easier to vote in Kansas because we have more options. Yeah, exactly. But they're not going to go after a Democrat secretary of state, Democrat attorney general, or Democrat governor. Yeah, well, it doesn't but fit it's their a nonpartisan, narrative. It's a, it's a nonpartisan organization. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. So. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, right. Secretary of State Scott Schwab. I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> no, you're right. It, it's unfortunate because they try to politicize it when it doesn't need to be. And uh, it, it all fits their narrative and their agenda for their political end game. Last question. I know that uh, I asked that, but outside of elections, how are you doing? Are the administration doing well? The office doing well? I know that uh, obviously you still have your small business. Are we seeing an increase in small business applications in the state now that we're kind of sort of coming out of COVID? I mean, how are things doing? Yeah, we are. So, and it's interesting because we saw the low watermark that I think during the low watermark during the shutdown of last year when Laura Kelly shut the state down, um, I think we're still seeing 80 new businesses filed a day. Wow. Now, it, it, we're way up over 100. Um, and so that's good. You know, the Kansas economy is fighting back. I think it could be doing better. There's some things that, some roadblocks that could be moved. Um, we've removed everyone that we can. Um, we announced a few months back that we're going to run for re-election because there's some projects and updating in the office to utilize tech technology to save the, the Kansas, the people of Kansas time and money. And they're not going to be completed before this term's over. And I want to make sure, you know, we finish our projects because, you know, we campaigned on making the office more efficient. And I don't feel like I can walk away with those projects not being done. And most of those are on the business services side. Uh, elections, our counties do a great job. But on the business side, uh, there's some updates that need to happen. We're on a computer system that was outdated in 1987. 
we should have been off it decades ago. And I, I don't feel comfortable walking away until that campaign promise is met. I love it. Continuously working. And it's nice, as you mentioned, to hear that the business is continuously trying to grow in the state of Kansas. So that's always good to hear. Secretary of State Scott Schwab for the state of Kansas. Always great to have you on the program, my friend. Keep up the fights. I know that there's a lot of work to be done, but we appreciate what you do up there all the time. Let's get you back on the show again here real soon. Look forward to it. Thank you, friend. There it is, Secretary of State Scott Schwab. We appreciate his time very much. A great, long, extended interview with him, and I wanted to make sure to get all of that in there because there was a lot of really important information and maybe clears up some of the discussion about voter fraud, about some type of audit, some things going on in the state of Kansas. We have some calls on the line. Don't go anywhere. we got to take a bottom-of-the-hour break. When we come back, it's open lines to you. I want to get your thoughts on what he just said and more. Plus, we have our interview with U.S. Senator uh, Roger Marshall. If we have a chance to play that, we'll air that here coming up as well. See, so much to get to, so many things to do. But that's what we do here on Candace Talk. And as we get into the last half hour home stretch right here on the program, it's Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Stay here. Listening to Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Thirty-five minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Kansas Talk. Last home stretch here on the show. Here on the Big Talker KQAM three one six seven two one eight two five five three one six seven two one Talk. If you want to join into the program, lots of information. From Scott Schwab, Secretary of State, we appreciate him very much. By the way, uh, I know during that interview he said he did not have the number of provisional ballots in the state. We do have those. His office did send those over to me after the interview that we did. Uh, that was on, what, Thursday morning, I believe, when we chatted with him. And so the provisional ballots, again, I am I love the process that we have in the state with provisional ballots, how we hand out more than any other state in the mid, in the mid-America region. And then we end up deciding whether we uh, count them or don't count them, whether they voted twice, whether it was an illegal vote, whether they had their proper documentation, they were registered, whether they voted just at the wrong precinct, whatever the situation was. And we decide on uh, which ones we actually count. But they did. The secretary of state's office did send that number to me after the interview. And here's what they look like for the 2020 general election. General election alone, we handed out. Uh, a total of 45,671 provisional ballots. Number counted was 34,631. So just about 10,000 of them were cast out, but we counted 34,000 out of 45,000. Not too bad, I think. That's how important these were. I mean, we count the vast majority of them. We hand out the most, and we actually count the most of these. In the 2020 primary election, We handed out 16,000 provisional ballots, 16,058. We counted 10,412. Back in the 2018 general election, we handed out 29,000 provisional ballots and counted uh, just over 21,000 of those. In the 2018 primary, we handed out 9,600 and counted 6,000 of those 9,600. Just to kind of put things into perspective for you. So I leave it up to you. Do you believe we need an audit in the state of Kansas? According to him, we say, he says we already did those. 
Uh, do you agree with his assessment that we don't need to report the provisional ballot numbers at the Secretary of State's office? Because uh, if they do generate the report, then they need to report them and make it public. But if they don't generate the report, they don't need to because there's no need to actually have that. Every county already has that information on a county by county level. Now, I kind of like that idea as well. I don't know. I, I mean, if they have to do, do the report, do the report. I don't really care. But um, he was a little critical of the Mike Lindell Cyber Symposium as a conservative, as a Republican, and I'm a big fan of Scott Shaw. We've had him on the program for years when he was a state representative before he became Secretary of State. And I think personally he's doing a decent, uh, great job as Secretary of State uh, as well. The phones are lit up, so I want to get your thoughts on this. But do you think we need an audit? And do you believe his numbers compared to Mike Lindell that says that we're about sixty to 80,000 votes off on our election results where Trump had a wider margin of an election result than what we actually showed in the state? And that potentially flipped the election in the third congressional district from Sharice Davids, the Democrat, who, by the way, their uh, news there is that she did get confirmed with COVID-19 after being fully vaccinated. Oh, no. Oh, no. How did that happen? So from what we hear, she doesn't have any major symptoms, but she did get confirmed with the virus. Um, But she got the vaccine, so she wasn't one of those unclean, unpure, filthy, undesirables of society because she ended up not getting the vaccine. In fact, she was fully vaccinated and yet got the virus. So, uh, I mean, I'm glad that she's all right. We don't want any ill will on anybody, but I kind of chuckle at that. Because, you know, us evil people that don't get the vaccine, we're the ones spreading the virus around, right? 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. Your thoughts on the election stuff. Do we need an audit? Do you like the numbers here in the state? I'm not saying that there's no voter fraud in any way, shape, or form, or that there's irregularities that need to be addressed. But I think in the state of Kansas, compared to other states, we have a heck of a good system. I like the system we have here with our voter ID laws, with some of the uh, to, with some of the uh, red tape that we have, verification process that we have whether it's the electronic voting machines that you're concerned about, although in the state I think we have done audits to make sure that the paper ballots match the numbers, and whether that's done or whether that's still ongoing, I don't know. But according to our Secretary of State, he's pretty confident with the numbers that we have compared to what's being put out there by Mike Lindell in the Cyber Symposium. So I want to get your thoughts on this. Let's go to the phones here, shall we, because we have a long list of phone calls here. Line number one, good morning, here's this. Scott. Scott, what's going on, sir? How are we doing? Well, I think that there's very much credibility to having audits. I think you have to have election audits. I think you have to have financial audits. Especially mm-hmm. in the city here of Wichita, they definitely need to have accountability of the money that they're spending because it's definitely not going to where it's needed. I mean, like I said, in the past, they have no grocery store in some areas and other areas. They, they got a lot of grocery stores and things that they need. I think the people need to ask their politicians for tangible things. And if they fail to meet those commitments, they need to find another form of employment. Yeah, well, I'm right there with you. I'm, I'm all about, you're right, you're right. I'm all about audits. I'm audits with elections. I'm about audits with budgets. I mean, we're getting COVID-19 relief funding for the state government, for the county commission, for the city council, for the local school boards. And all of those need to be audited to make sure that we're not just wasting that money because I think we're getting more money than what we need. Both the county and the city are getting close to $100 million apiece. The school board 
here in the Wichita area is getting roughly $70, $75 million for COVID-19 relief for the local school board. So we're getting way more money than is necessary in our community. So I am all about getting those audits done uh, on that front. And then for elections, again, I'm all about audits as well. I don't care about doing audits. But for what it sounds like, we're already doing those. We already have just like an automatic audit that's being done to make sure everything's uh, being done properly. Whether we need to do it again is up for discussion. I don't know. I mean, maybe we do, but how much money is that going to cost and is it necessary to do? Well, like I said, they spend money on a lot of things around here. I mean, they have plenty of money to build more police stations and, uh, you know, uh, police are even driving trucks. I don't know what you're going to do in a truck as a policeman, but <laughs> if you can spend money on that, then an audit should be no problem. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that, Scott. You're right. I mean, if we have the money to do it, then let's do it and do an audit and make sure that we're we're verified, make sure that we're good. I got no problem with verifying the system. I think that it's good to verify the system and to do those checks. That's what the system's in place for. We need to keep the powers at bay controlled and limited as we need to and try and keep the power at the local level as much as possible. So whether we look at the audits at a county level within the county election office or whether we do it as a statewide thing, I, I don't know. What I do find interesting that Scott did mention as well with the cyber symposium of Mike Lindell is that if they did come out with these numbers, uh, my question was the very beginning of the symposium, of if he does prove voter fraud in the general election of 2020, what is he doing about it? I mean, he's having a symposium. That's good. He's getting the information out there. Is he talking to lawyers? Are we starting litigation? Are we doing certain things? I know during the symposium, he did get the letter that his case that uh, um, the Dominion Voting System is suing Mike Lindell for like a billion dollars. It's ridiculous how much they're going after him for is going to court. And he didn't seem to like that very much as well. So that's kind of interesting. But what do we do about if he has this information? Obviously, we need to do something about it. We need to go to court and we need to have attorneys and we need to have a lawsuit that's actually started to try and get this information out. But if you have all this information about a certain state and their numbers, why would you not contact the secretary of state's office with that information? I find that interesting. I'm not knocking Mike Lindell because I'm a huge fan of Mike Lindell and I'm a huge fan of my pillow and I'm a huge fan of him getting that information out. But to me, just my personal honest opinion, watching the symposium for the whole 20 minutes that I watched it, it looked a little unorganized, scatterbrained, and more of just like a ranting session for him to call out people that didn't like him and didn't agree with him. Now, there were speakers there that were great. They had some awesome information from what I've heard, and I want to watch those. But I just I turned it on just to listen to it in the background for a day, and I listened to it for like 20 minutes, and he was up there just ranting. And I'm like, this isn't what I signed up to listen to. This isn't what I wanted to hear. I want to hear the facts. I don't want to hear just you know calling people out and calling them up and challenging them to come on stage and debate him. Like That's not what I wanted to hear. And if he does have this information, we need to do other things about it than just rally people up and rile people up and get them fired up about it. We need to actually have a litigation a piece of litigation going on, some type of lawsuit that's actually going to be challenging this information. And I don't know if he's done it. Maybe he has. But why has it? Why wouldn't he call, especially conservative Republican secretary of state? Why wouldn't he call them up and be like, hey. Secretary Scott Schwab from the state of Kansas. Hey, these are the numbers that we have that show some irregularities. Let's compare them to your numbers that you have with your irregularities. Let's talk to the counties with their irregularities from what we see, and let's compare and contrast. Let's do an audit that way and working with the numbers that he has as Mike Lindell, and let's see if we can't get to the bottom of where the discrepancies actually are. Like, if we're truly, honestly serious about changing things and making things better, why would that not be the process? This is just me 
as the investigative guy that I am and wanting to verify what I talk about and what we do, if I were Mike Lindell in that position, in, in possession of all of this information, I would be going state to state and saying, hey, this is the information that I have. These are the specialists on my team that are actually verifying this to make sure it's legitimate. I want to compare this with what you have as a state and working together and see if we can figure something out. And I would start with friendly states like Kansas. As Scott Schwab mentioned, like he's he's a personal friend of Amanda Atkins, the Republican challenger, Sharice Davids in the third district. Him and his wife donated to the or his wife donated to the campaign. They support her. If there's any concern or anything in there that might have peaked his ear up about voter fraud that could have potentially flipped that vote to Amanda Adkins to beat Sharice Davids in the third district of Kansas, I'm sure he would have looked into it. I'm sure that that would have peaked his ear up to be like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I should uh, consider this because obviously I like her. I agree with her politics. I like what she stands for. I agree with what's going on. And there's a discrepancy where things are popping up. Maybe I need to make a look into this a little bit dig, uh, deeper because I'm not a fan of Sharice Davis, not for personal reasons, but for a professional reason. If he thought that there was voter fraud that would have gone in the favor of someone that he personally liked. You would think that would happen. So he would be open to working with Lindell in that team if they chose to work together and actually say, hey, call them up. These are the numbers I have. These are the discrepancies that I have. Let's see if we can actually figure out where they are. And either we're wrong because we calculated our numbers wrong or, hey, Kansas, you guys did stuff wrong. And here's what we came up with after a deeper audit with a partnership with the private side with a cyber symposium. I don't know. To me. That would make the most sense to do an actual investigative audit from an outside source. But that's not happening, which to me lowers the credibility just a little bit. Again, not a knock on Mike Lindell. I love Mike Lindell. I love my pillow. I'm a big fan. I think that he needs to get this information out there, but we can't just say things without having them verified. And you can have people talk about it, but unless you're actually working with the departments that are firsthand involved and personally involved, I mean, to me, that, that, that doesn't that raise some flags? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe we don't want to just run with it because we want to believe it. I don't know. I don't know what the case is. Let's go back to the phones here, shall we? Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy. It's Sean. Sean, what's happening, sir? How are we doing? Hey, man. I really want to respond to that interview you had in the first hour. Okay. Because uh detected something in there that uh, I did not like in that interview. Uh, but <clears throat> I don't. I didn't. I didn't turn on your show until a quarter after nine, and he was already in the interview. So, sure, uh, yeah, there was I heard in there, but I wanted to uh, first get my facts straight before I uh, get on my high horse. Okay. I didn't like what I heard, but <laughs> if there's no time to do that after responding to your current question, I'll save it for next week. Well, you, you got know, a couple no of minutes. What, so, what what's the question? Okay. Well, first of all, uh, uh, I'm going to answer your current question. Okay. As far as audits go, no, no, no audits. It's a waste of time and money. Uh, <clears throat> it's been almost a year since the election. It's a moot point. Nothing you can do about it. So, you know, why spend the energy? Uh, At least in know, Kansas. At least in Kansas. We know. We know where the the states where a lot of the fraud, there's fraud that goes on in every state in every election. But we know where most of the fraud went on because of the crap that was going on in those states. Arizona, especially Pennsylvania. Yeah. Okay. That's a blue state, deep blue. Uh, <clears throat> um, 
nothing you can do about it except uh, when the next election rolls around, you know, do 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 whatever you got to do to make sure that there is is uh, uh, that kind of fraud doesn't happen again. Now, I believe the election was stolen because the Democrats have done it before. They stole the 1960 election. And that happened, and the theft occurred in one spot, and that was in Chicago, which resulted in a razor-thin uh, uh, margin in favor of uh, uh, Kennedy. And they thought they were—they might have thought they were being clever by just making the, you know, him win and only a few votes. But hell, it was perfectly obvious to everybody that—that yeah. uh, that, uh, uh, that's where the election—that's uh, where the fraud occurred. Sure. was in Chicago, so they didn't fool anybody on that. Well, you're and, right. Uh, I mean, first off, you're right. There is there is fraud that goes on. We know there's fraud that goes on between dead people that registered to vote, unfortunately, between uh, uh, illegal aliens that obtained uh, certain IDs to be able to go and vote, between registration lists of county by county, state by state, with people moving. That's a, There's a lot of fraud. And there's a lot of ways we can tighten up the system. We can do voter ID, uh, uh, voter ID laws across states that a lot of them don't do. And there's a lot of things we can do to kind of tweak the system to make it better. We know that it happens. The question is whether it was enough to turn overturn the election on the federal level or not. I don't know because I don't have all that information. What I do know is from the little bit that I did hear from Mike Lindell, it seemed almost like a, uh, to me, again, I need to watch it this week, and I did not watch a whole lot of it, but it seemed like a scatterbrained symposium with not a lot of concrete information other than just theoreticals of what potentially could have happened with some different uh, digital things and electronic things in the uh, in the electronic voting machines. And if they really were serious about trying to get this information out, in trying to prove it and trying to validate it, they would be calling friendly Secretary of States across the nation and saying, let's work together, let's compare our numbers to your numbers, let's find the discrepancy and f- see which one's more accurate, and then we go from there. Uh, we could be starting lawsuits and litigation. We could be pursuing something other than just holding a conference that people go and be like, yeah, there is voter fraud. Like, I get it, but why aren't we doing something about it? Action as opposed to just talking. And right now all I'm hearing is just talking. Well, you know, I like Mike Lindell, too. I got one of his pillows, one of the best pillows I've ever had, uh, outside of a feather pillow. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't want him making himself, you know, he risks making himself look like an idiot with this thing, I think. I mean, I didn't see the cyber symposium. I had no idea what the hell was going on. Yeah. I didn't understand the text message I got from my best friend out in Cali about some cyber symposium. Uh, if I heard anything about Mike Lindell and this thing, I, I probably didn't hear much and forgot. But nonetheless, you know, according to you, you saw some of it. You said it seemed like it was kind of scatterbrained. Well, I don't know. Again, want- now, again, I saw out of out of three days of like eight hours a day, I saw 20 minutes of it total. And the 20 minutes that I turned on was not a speaker or a specialist or an expert in any way, shape, or form. It was Mike Lindell up there where he wasn't even talking about the facts. He was reading hate comments on social media of people attacking him, calling them idiots, and then challenging them to come on stage and challenge him and debate him. So I didn't get a whole lot of factual information. It just seemed like he was kind of on the defense and a little fired up going after individuals, which to me is not proof of anything. It's just him up there trying to defend him and trying to go on the attack by challenging people that that are attacking him on social media. So again, if that's all it was, 
then it was a big flop. I mean, but again, that was only 20 minutes of a three-day conference that I have that I've been able to see. So I want to watch more of it this weekend, and I want to hear some of the actual speakers to see what they had to say. But again, regardless of what they said, even if they have absolute verified proof in there, where's the action? We can't just talk. Where's the action? Where's the litigation? Where's the working with Secretary of States in different states to verify your information and to be able to move forward with some of this information that you may or may not have? Well, if if, if he's thinking. He and others thinking that uh, if they can sue and overturn the uh, uh, the election results, uh, um, they can try. But even if you could uh, overturn the results, what you think you're going to be able to uh, get Trump back in office? No, sorry. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. Even if we do prove it, what I mean, what is that going to gain? I mean, how we've never done that before, and. Now, if we do legitimately, truly find 100% concrete evidence that, you know, the, the election was stolen, I mean, obviously something has to happen, and I think that would fire people up to try and put Trump into power or to do some transition. Yesterday, according to some of the conspiracy theorists, yesterday was supposed to be the reinstatement day where Trump was supposed to be back in office and remove Joe Biden from office. Uh, as people had floated out August 13th for that day, obviously that didn't happen. Uh, so we need a little more information to figure out if that would ever happen, but that's never happened before in the United States. So that's kind of on the fringe of, I think, people wanting it to happen as opposed to looking forward to how do we prevent it from happening again in the future? Yeah, that's what you got to look for is how to stop it. Because I'm going to tell you right now, man, go read the Constitution. There is no remedy in the Constitution for this situation. Yeah. You can you can uh, uh you can discover election fraud, but you're not going to be able to remove the sitting president because of election fraud. He's there until the next election. Yeah. Well, in Biden's case, we don't know for sure how long he's going to be there. Well, you know, I, I'm I mean, still waiting for him to trip down the stairs from Kamala Harris. So I got to take a break, my friend. Sean, and, and yes, call back next week with the other question that you had, and uh, we can discuss that one. But I know we're running short on time, so. I appreciate that very much. We have another caller on the line. Don't go anywhere. We'll try and get to you as soon as we come back uh, here from the break, but we got to run this uh, through this one. Get ready to wrap up the show today for a Saturday here on the Big Talker KQAM. It's Kansas Talk. Stay right here. Welcome back in. Just a few minutes left here of the program. Thanks for hanging out with us today on the Big Talker KQAM. Can just talk 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. As we kind of wrap this one up, kind of an interesting inf- uh, conversation. Some people, I'm sure, agree, disagree with me on the thoughts with the Mike Lindell Symposium, the election here in the state of Kansas and nationally. we got just about 30 seconds left. Let's try and sneak in one more caller here. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, this is Duke. Uh, Duke, how are you, sir? You got about 20 seconds. It's all yours. Hey, fine, thanks. Quick question. Yeah. Secretary of State talked about doing an audit. Did they actually do a paper ballot audit like Javen Pulitzer recommends? Uh, you know? That's a good question. As far as I'm aware, yes. All the all the electronic voting counts that, were, that came in, they didn't do it at the statewide level, but the counties had done a paper ballot audit to verify that the numbers matched the electronic right. voting systems from what they did with the actual paper ballot. So the counties did. I'm not sure if the state did overall as a whole. Okay, very good. Thank you. So absolutely, Duke, I appreciate that. That's a great question. That's a great question. And look, I have no problem with the uh, audits in any way, shape, or form, but I want to make sure that they're done at the proper way. 
when you miss the morning news with John Wright. The Wichita City Council approves a design concept for adding bike lanes on North Broadway. Resources are available in Wichita for victims of sexual assault in the workplace, and Wichita hospitals are out of ICU beds, but what exactly does that mean? Your morning news with John Wright, 6 to 8 on The Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM, KQAM.